I did not anticipate when I played Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games when I was a young child that a love of obscure manuals would somehow translate into the work I do now. I help interpret the rules of development to people who aren't familiar with them, especially important at a time when those rules are changing fast. That's a key feature of every single edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, but especially today, this April 11th, 2023 edition, I'm Sean Tubbs. On today's program, there's only one topic, and that's a review of the second module of the Charlottesville Zoning Code. There will be no parking requirements in Charlottesville under the draft code, though larger developments will require a transportation demand management plan. Commissioners and councillors both pushed back on an option to still allow developers to pay into a fund rather than build affordable units as required. And public comment for this module, as well as the first, will be taken through April 30th. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, Livable Seaville has another event coming up that they want you to know about and consider attending. On April 19th at 6.30 p.m., Brian Coleman, second vice president of the NAACP's Arlington branch, will provide examples from Arlington on missing middle housing, racial equity, and opportunity. As Charlottesville continues a zoning rewrite intended to increase residential density, Coleman will discuss the relationship between Arlington's current housing debates and racial equity and opportunity. Stay for the question and answer period to hear a local perspective from Sunshine Mathon, Executive Director of the Piedmont Housing Alliance. That's another Livable Seville webinar coming up on April 19th. At long last, I'm finally able to turn my attention to the release of the second module of the city's new zoning code. This is the third leg of the Seville Plans Together initiative, a wide-ranging effort to make it easier to build housing in Charlottesville. The first leg was the adoption of an affordable housing plan in March of 2021 that morally committed city council to spend at least $10 million a year toward building more subsidized housing. The second was the adoption of a comprehensive plan that placed increased residential density across the entire city as a top priority. That included a future land use map that signaled that all properties could have at least three residential units on them. This year, the details are being finalized on changes to the zoning code to describe how that additional density would be implemented. A first module was released in early February, and the second was released on March 29th, a little later than originally expected. March 29th was also the same day the Planning Commission and the City Council were scheduled to go over the work to date. Instead, they got a briefing on what's in the second module. First, they learned there would be no changes to the zoning map as part of Module 1. James Fries is the City's Director of Neighborhood Development Services. We're collecting every single map change that we get, specific or general. Uh, we are sorting through all of those. We're going to do an analysis of every single one over the next three weeks or so. A new map will be released for review sometime after the module phase is complete, and there is a total draft to review. The second module covers development standards. Things like landscaping, parking, signage, and lighting. 
So it's a big section. There's a lot to, to go over. Fries said much of this section refers to existing documents that staff uses to interpret specific applications, such as the Streets That Work manual and the Standards and Design manual. A new document called the Draft Affordable Dwelling Unit Monitoring and Procedures manual is also available. Beyond what's required within the ordinance, that tells ha, tells a property owner how they go, how they go about submitting their afford, uh, affordability requirements, the details in terms of meeting that requirement, and how that requirement is monitored and tracked for enforcement purposes over time. Each standard begins with an intent section, and the first standard listed controls the bonus units allowed if an existing structure is kept in RA, RB, or RC zones. The intent here is to provide an incentive for the preservation and rehabilitation of existing housing stock while implementing the affordable housing goals of the adopted comprehensive plan and Charlottesville affordable housing plan. I want to state right up at the beginning, we are defining affordable housing as housing affordable to somebody earning a household earning 60% of area median income. So while that's the standard for the purposes of this work, we, there will be individual programs or policies adopted by the city that will target lower area median incomes. The term of affordability is 99 years. The preservation bonus of one additional unit would come into play if the first 25 feet of an existing structure is kept. This would apply in residential A and residential B and residential C sections. In developments larger than 10 units, the new zoning would require 10% of new units to be affordable. However, the new zoning would preserve the ability of a developer to pay into the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund, though the required payment has been increased. It's also worth noting that the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority would be exempt from the 10% requirement. One planning commissioner expressed concern about allowing this payment in lieu option to continue. Here is Carl Schwartz. Because I feel like we're going to get a lot of pushback on the idea of still being able to pay for affordable units versus actually building them. Fries said the best practice for inclusionary zoning is to offer the choice of paying into a fund. City Councilor Michael Payne expressed his concern. Seeing that, I'm I'm uncomfortable and would like a lot more information and discussion before feeling comfortable in moving back to a payment in lieu yeah. option. Fries said he understood, but reminded the group that the overall zoning push is to make it easier to build affordable housing and all kinds of housing across the entire city. Affordable housing has often been kind of segregated to certain areas. That's a product of funding decisions, but it's also a product of zoning that our zoning ordinance is attempting to address, right? Because when affordable housing is primarily multifamily, and multifamily is only allowed in certain areas, you right there have created that situation. Payne said the existing system has been a failure in terms of producing units. Last year, council reviewed a report for how $46.7 million was spent through the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund since 2010. Nearly half of that money went to construction of units, according to the story I wrote last March. Developers would also get an additional two stories of height if 10% of the units are at 50% of the area median income. And then the final bonus that it we're proposing is that in the residential A, residential B, and residential C districts, uh, a project could double the allowed density if 100% of the project is affordable. That is, the entire project, all units on the site are affordable at 60% of AMI or less. Fries said the city only expects nonprofit groups to take advantage of this provision. 
we don't anticipate for-profit private sector developers taking yeah. advantage of that, right? That is really something that the only ones who could take advantage of that would be an affordable housing developer who is seeking a subsidy from some source within the existing range of sources that are out there. It's not, it is not on its face financially feasible. However, Virginia law would not prevent others from trying, as all rules have to apply to all potential owners. Time for a quick break. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement goes out to Camp Albemarle, which has for 60 years been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and occasional private programs. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a Civilian Conservation Corps project that sought to promote the importance of rural activities. Camp Albemarle seeks support for a plan to winterize the Hamner Lodge, a structure built in 1941 by the CCC and used by every fourth and fifth grade student in Charlottesville and Albemarle for the study of ecology for over 20 years. If this campaign is successful, Camp Albemarle could operate year-round. Consider your support by visiting campalbemarleva.org donate. You are listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and this is a special edition that is focused solely on the second module of Charlottesville's draft zoning ordinance. The new zoning will also create standards for the creation of smaller block sizes to increase connectivity. So this requirement basically says where you exceed a certain size of your lot, you're required to introduce a block pattern, new streets, new connecting streets, so on. Then there are streetscape requirements. These are to help ensure an attractive and inviting public realm that provides a safe and protected walkway for pedestrians. This requirement introduces uh, a size standard for the amount of space in front of the building that needs to be uh, available for uh, sidewalks and uh, a green verge, if you verge, if you will, where the where the street trees and lighting and so on would be located. There are also guidelines to make sure pedestrian access to buildings is provided and that spaces for bicycle parking is also provided. Under the new zoning, a developer would not have to provide any space for a motorized vehicle to be stored. At this point, we are proposing no minimum parking requirement in order to support reuse and redevelopment of uh, sites within the city. We, we fully anticipate that there'll be a great deal of conversation on this topic. The draft rules also allow for one driveway per zoning lot, though a permit would be required for a curb cut. There are no requirements for off-street parking, though any project over 50,000 square feet must submit a transportation demand management plan. This TDM plan must demonstrate how the landowner will encourage residents or customers to not use a motorized vehicle. For a good example of a transportation demand management plan, check out the University of Virginia's Parking and Transportation Master Plan. There's a link in the newsletter. 
Fries said that one change point could be lowering or raising that 50,000 square foot threshold. The intent of this section is also worth noting. To reduce parking demand, support the use of alternative forms of transportation, promote reuse and redevelopment of existing buildings, reduce the overall cost of construction and development, and increase the overall efficiency and use of taxable land within the city. Planning Commissioner Hosea Mitchell cautioned about making it more difficult for visitors to the community to park here. Our friends in the surrounding counties are developing economic nodes, mm-hmm. and they're doing that so that their people don't have to drive into Charlottesville. If we make it difficult for them to park when they get into Charlottesville, we're going to start losing business on the downtown mall. There are also requirements in the draft code for transitions between higher and lower intensity areas, as well as details on walls, fences, and required screening of unsightly things like waste disposal and mechanical equipment. Much of the existing tree preservation ordinance will be kept, but Fries said it will be augmented. One of the things that we're including is the requirement for a tree removal permit. So it makes it very clear that if you're removing a tree over 15 inches in caliper, um, you are required to get a permit from the city. That allows us and gives us a stronger ability to actually enforce these provisions. These permits will be handled by staff with no option for elected officials to intervene. Details on how these permits and others will be dealt with in Module 3, which is expected to be released this week. Requests to disturb critical slopes will now be a special exemption rather than a waiver. Other than that, those rules are more or less the same. They will still require review by the Planning Commission and City Council, including a public hearing. Module 2 also includes the first sense of what will be done to help prevent displacement of people who are considered to be in sensitive communities. Here's some language from the Comprehensive Plan. Sensitive community areas are places throughout Charlottesville that include concentrations of community members who may be demographically sensitive to displacement pressures and potentially most at risk for displacement. Sensitive community areas are the general residential areas that fall within census block groups that have relatively high proportions of the communities listed below using ACS 2018 five-year estimates. I just realized that quote points to something below that I don't have, but you can imagine it, I hope. Ask me if you can't figure it out. Councillor Michael Payne and the rest of the group only had 30 minutes to review the material before the March 29th work session, but Payne expressed another concern. I'm very concerned about these lots that are a high percentage of lower-income renters who are not subsidized, and if you upzone with no protections and you have a flood of capital investment come in, can very easily be completely screwed over. And I don't see anything defined yet on how to conceptualize or deal with that problem. Fries said more work needs to be done in conjunction with people who might be affected or may already be feeling the pressure. Because it's a it is a challenging issue. Let's talk about that flood of capital you're referring to. That flood of capital is coming into many of our sensitive community areas right now under our existing zoning ordinance in the form of single family homes that are being flipped either in a teardown scenario or a significant addition or expansion scenario. So we're seeing that happen without changing the zoning ordinance. This is an area I've tried to document through my ongoing review of Charlottesville property transactions. There's a lot of money to be made in house flipping. Go back to the November 2022 transaction report for some questions I asked, and we'll keep in mind as work on the zoning code continues. 
Fries said another consideration is that wealth-building opportunities will be reduced if those in sensitive communities don't have the same potential for future growth. We're having that conversation with, with residents from those communities to say, hey, where do you lean in this? And, and right now the conversation is mostly, not entirely, but mostly saying we lean towards more restriction. The comment period for both Module 1 and Module 2 runs through April 30th. The Planning Commission will further discuss the modules at their first meeting scheduled for today. Now, at the March 29th work session, the Planning Commission did go into further detail on Module 1, and I will have that conversation in a future installment of the program, and one that gets me back to a little bit more of the regular. But that's the end of number 520, and it pained me to have to wait to write this installment. But life is about trade-offs, and I am so glad to finally have gone through these details in the second module. There will be more installments like this, and that's entirely thanks to paid Substack subscribers. That's about a quarter of the audience of over 2,000 people, and I am grateful for their support. If you haven't done so already, please consider your own support so I can keep on writing and hopefully begin to train others to help me out. But if you have done so, I am so grateful to you. I really am. If you do sign up for a paid subscription, Ting will match your initial payment. This applies at the $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year level. If you sign up for Ting at a link in the newsletter and enter the promo code COMMUNITY, you will get free installation, a second month for free, a $75 gift card to the downtown mall, and thank you to Draki for this great instrumental music that you're hearing below, and it finishes out the podcast. Thank you and goodbye.